The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Hey, Tabernacle, how are we doing? My name is Seth, and as you're sitting there wondering, who's this guy? That's okay. Uh, I am one of the new campus pastors over in Manistee. I'm the guy you guys hired to try to keep Kit Potter in check. It turns out that that's not possible. Uh, So... We just have a little bit of fun. So one of the things I want to do is do a little bit of speed dating with you, okay? So some of you I got to meet at the annual meeting, and that was great. And so whether uh, you're here or whether you're watching this online or whether you're viewing in from one of the prisons, we are so glad that you're watching. And I want to just give just a couple minutes for you to get to know me a little bit uh, as we get started. And how awesome is that new Fool's video? Is that good? That's good. A little dark, but I like it. So here's, here's our version of speed dating, okay? Northern Michigan. I, I, I come from the Scottville area, so we can speak a little bit of the same language. And one of the things that I would like you to know about myself is I enjoy long walks in the woods with a bow or gun or chainsaw in my hand. So, love being outside. Absolutely adore time outside. I love being able to just settle, to rest, to just connect, but I love even more doing that now with my family. So, my wife has tolerated me now, Heather, for about 10 years, uh, here in a couple of weeks. Better get a gift. And I've got four girls. And Miss Tracy back at Tab Kids knows my love language. I've got a sticker. That's, uh, my, my life is well-versed in stickers and all things pink right now. Okay, so that's if, uh, if that comes across, I apologize. That's just what I know. I'm the only guy in a household of five gals and one dog, also a female. <laughs> so that's a little bit of who I am, and I am so excited just to spend some time here with you as we jump into this Fool series. It's, it's just a tremendous series for us to spend six weeks. So it's going to go like that. This is, this is like the dirty, this is, we don't want to talk about this, but this will take us to the end of summer. Sorry. Yep, so that's coming. Students, I'm sorry about that. 
But we're going to spend six weeks diving in to this idea that just peppers the scriptures. What I love about the tab is that we are a church that believes wholeheartedly in this. And we want to take our lead and our guide from this. And throughout this book, it says it makes this differentiation between someone that's foolish. Someone that doesn't open their ears, open their hearts to things bigger than themselves. And we're going to unpack that. It, calls, it goes so far as to call a fool a senseless fellow. All the women in the room just said, preach that, brother. <laughs> but no, it's a senseless person. It's someone whose heart is closed off. It's tight. It doesn't want to look at things outside of its existence. And it becomes this thing where God differentiates it between a wise person that all of a sudden is opening their, their hearts, wants to know something bigger than themselves. And that's where we're headed in the six weeks. And tonight we're doing that kind of umbrella approach to this series, to this study. And we are so excited to jump in about, look at this idea. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the answer before we get started. At this idea that our beliefs, the things that we profess with this thing that goes nonstop for many of us, that even comes out nonstop on our little screens or wherever we're at, dictates quite often how we live. And God in his word said, you know what, there's something that needs to line up a little better. Especially as my followers, that if you're preaching this, then I want you moving to here. And we're cracked pots, are we not, Tab? And so we're going to look at what it means to be cracked pots that don't do this perfectly, but are sharing this journey about how do we move more into the camp of saying, my heart's open, my heart is fertile and ready for you, versus a heart that is closed off, walled off to the things of God. And so many of you, I wanted to speak your language, uh, and so many of you grew up with a great philosopher. He was part of a group known as the A-Team. Oh, come on, that's kind of funny. Known by his big gold chains, his mohawk and muscles as big as my head, we have the wise words of Mr. Key. I pity the fool. Which brings us to the fact that automatically some of us here are saying, well, that's not really the most gracious thing that we can do as a church to talk about people being fools, people being walled off, and, and that's just not nice. And you know what? Sometimes we have to say that's tough because God's word for us is difficult. It's not nice, but it's life-giving, and that's what we want to tackle into uh, with this series because there is a difference well, the Bible forbid us from calling people a fool. And there is an instance noted in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus does say, listen, you are not to call a brother or sister Raka. Raka is this idea in the Greek that has to do with someone that's already done, expired, in the ground that committed their heart to walling off permanently from the things of Christ and from the things of God. That's a raka, someone whose value on an eternal level, dictated not by you or me, is, is essentially worthless. The whole of their life has brought about an eternity in hell. It fell short. But what Jesus did open up for us is exactly what we find 
And exactly what Mr. T is talking about in our next picture is a wise dude. I pity the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. You didn't know Mr. T was in the Bible, did you? Those are the words of King David in Psalm 14, which is kind of the basis for this whole series. And this idea that tells us in the book of Psalms chapter 14, verse 1, it says this, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none. There is none that comes that is good. It's this idea that this can be someone whose heart is closed and is not raka, saying that there's still hope for us, cracked pots. And that's where we're diving into, that our beliefs dictate our actions and that our hearts can still be soft for this idea. So where we're going with this is another piece of what Jesus had to say for us in Matthew 7. So I'm going to give you some time. I'm going to unpack. I'm going to share with you a little bit of a story in my life. But if you want to open up to Matthew 7, we'll be looking at verses 24 to 27 in a little bit. And, and so as, you, as we get to know one another, one of the things that I want you to know about me is, 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 I, is I love stories. Stories are our common language, right? You talk to a parent, and they've always got stories about what's going on in the home. I've got a lot of stories right now, thanks to my two-year-old. Driving me crazy, but she's awesome. Stories are that common thread for us that we see even that God uses because it brings people together. And so one of the things I want to share with you is, um, so I grew up in a small town, northwest Illinois, um, looked much like uh, the Scottville area where I now reside, and it just corn as far as you can see. And God, with a sense of humor, brought the country boy into the city of Chicago. A little bit of a culture shock. Brought me to a place called Wheaton College. Wheaton College was a transformational time for me. Had the opportunity to play football there. Loved it. For the first time was surrounded by godly men day and night that just wanted to pour into me. Redefined for me what authentic male brotherhood looked like. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. And so part of that experience is before your senior year, you go off into the woods on a rafting trip. They send you out for three days, and they really want you to have this experience with your uh, classmates um, that just to center on what do you want your senior year to be about? What leadership steps does this team need? Because each class is going to have a different fingerprint on that. And so one of the things that you do is you go up way in the northern Wisconsin, the wrong side of the lake. But it's pretty up there. They've got some sweet rafting rivers. And we spent some time, we spent three days navigating different stretches of this river. Couldn't tell you where I was because I was pretty turned around up north. But one of the days that everybody talked about was day two. Day two, you navigated this stretch where, it, where the river came around the sheer cliff. And one thing that, as you get to know me, as you kind of hear, like, I love just, I love having my blood pump. I love those experiences that just take the blood pressure up a little bit. And so on day two, we go to this sheer cliff, and we're getting to do some cliff diving. Love cliff diving. I love the rush of that. But what, this was a first for me, not because of a height or anything, but because this was going to be, everybody talked about it. It's a blind jump. 
where you walk up to the edge of this cliff and all of a sudden you can't see where you're going to land because that cliff extends out over the water then cuts back to the side of the river. It was awesome. Our guide had been taking Wheaton football players for 15 plus years. He's one of these old, just wily guys. Spends his summer guiding rafting trips, and in the, in the winter, in his downtime, he flew to Alaska to his other home and guided sled dogs, sled dog trips. This dude was all about the outdoors. But what was awesome about this guy, and, and I'm terrible with names, so I should apologize for that. But what was awesome about our guide is he would sit each of us down. He would sit you down on this rock, and he'd look you square in the eyes. And he'd walk you through the whole process. Now, here's what's going to happen. I need you to run off this spot. If you're going to do this, I need you to go off this avenue right here. Everybody wants to veer this way because it's wider. They can see where they're going, but I need you not to go that way. The only thing I can promise you is that there's some chance you're going to land on a rock in the river. Okay? Get on board with that. Don't go right. And it looks good off to the left. But the problem is, is the river gets narrow on that side of the cliff. So you might be somebody's joining somebody's party in their boat as they're going by. That's not going to be good for you or for them. So I need you to hit this spot. Where are you going? I'm going here. I'm going here. Pretty easy decision. I don't want to be foolish about this decision. And he said, I have one more thing for you. I need you to keep your eyes open. What the heck? Who closes their eyes? But he said, I get people that are so bent on doing this that as they're making their final approach, the fear grabs them. And they close their eyes. And even though they don't mean it, they veer. The worst I've ever had is a broken leg. The worst I've ever heard about is a coma. I need you to keep your eyes open. Don't veer. Hit this spot. I can do that. And that's where we're going to move from this story into God's story in Matthew 7. And we're going to come back to this throughout our time together. We'll jump in right here at Matthew seven twenty four, and and hear these words. So these are the words of Jesus. These are at the tail end of maybe his most his first sermon. We know that out in public, but maybe the one he's most well known for. And so we're going to pick it up at the end as he's wrapping this sermon up, the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking to his people. Okay, this is how you bring this home. All this stuff that I've just shared with you. This is the crux. This is where the rubber meets the road. And let me tell you, there's two options here. Jesus isn't saying this. This is Seth's paraphrasing. I don't know if you could tell that. But here's where we pick up in verse 24. So hear this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. He built it up here in northern Michigan. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So we have this idea. Pretty easy to tell, right? We have two options with what we're going to do. And this, this is the crux of the Fool series. That we're going to dig into some different topics. We're going to hear the approach on some areas of our life where we have a tendency to lean and to maybe to hold more onto some of those old patterns of life where our cracked selves start showing. Where we're not quite ready to say, God, that part's yours too. But where we hang on and say, but I like that part. Or maybe it's the fact that, yeah, but my wife doesn't even know about that part of me. My husband hasn't even heard that story. My boss, if they ever knew about that part. We want to get into those areas of our life where we say, that's too big for God. And the goal for our, this series is to say, you know what? If we're going to do this thing called wisdom, if we're going to be the wise people with hearts open... We've got we've to put that right there. We've got to say, this is yours too. And so as we dig into these, okay, I'm going to hop back and forth here a little bit, just for a second, between our cliff jumping story. And here's where we pick this back up. And that from the words of my guide, the approach matters. As we dig into this, we have to be okay in a society that is constantly telling us, listen, do you, do that happy thing, and you run that hard. I'm reading a book right now. Um, It's one of those books that reminds you how not smart you are. You ever read one of those? Where you're like, 10 pages, need a break, right? So the book I'm reading right now is called Disruptive Witness. By guy by the name of Alan Noble. He's a PhD from Baylor University. And he has this thing where it's, a, it's almost like this fool series. It's a little insulting at first to hear what Alan has to say about our society. And what he has to say about our society is that we're stupid. You like that? It's a good uplifting message right there. And as I paraphrase this a little bit, what, what Alan is digging into with that, where he's challenging society, is saying, we now live in a world that's so small, that's so uh, without borders in our everyday life, that we've become so shallow in our thinking. That because of this little thing that most of us have in our back pockets, in our front pockets, in our purse, whatever that is, with that cell phone, we can now get the answers we desire we can figure things out, and yet the reality is, is, so I'm not getting political here for a second, is that we can have a gun-loving, anti-abortion Democrat 
that just is, is a huge juxtaposition. You pick any political stance and put them together that don't make sense, that's what Alan Noble is saying you can get because we don't even understand what we stand for. Jeez, that kind of hurts, Alan. But is it true? Have we gotten ourselves to a place that we've said, I like Jesus, I don't need the rest of this. I like what's in the New Testament, but that Old Testament stuff, that's scary business there. But the fact that because it's in the Bible, we believe it. Because it's in the Bible, we're going to follow it, even when it's hard. And that maybe chief amongst us is that most of this series comes from this idea of wise and foolish. You know where that's found? The book of Proverbs. You know who the book of Proverbs was written by? A guy by the name of Solomon. He could be like the champion of our church. The greatest cracked pot of all. The guy that was known as the wisest in all the world. And yet was also the guy that had 700 wives. Sheesh. A hard enough time with five gals in my house. Staying out of trouble. 300 concubines. It's... It's the prime example of why we need stories like what Jesus just shared with us. The approach matters. Are we going to be someone that chases after what God is saying, even when it's difficult, to be that person that, like Solomon talks about in Proverbs 5, Proverbs 1, 5 and 6, let the wise hear an increase in their learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Are we going to be a people that approach things saying, you know what, I don't have this all together. And we don't expect you to either. Because we're imperfect people chasing after this God that loves us passionately together, figuring it out together. Or are we going to be someone like Psalm 14.1 that says the fool has no understanding, has no desire to chase anything bigger than themselves and that we're just okay with settling into this idea there is no God because I don't like what that means for what God may be calling me to. The approach matters. If you're in that foolish camp, if you're in that place where you're not sure, there's no value placed on that. But it's where are you? Is your heart open to this idea about a God that loves you passionately, persistently, and faithfully? Or are you in this wise camp that says, you know what, I, I, I don't know, but I want to hear. Because that's the beginning of wisdom. The approach matters. Second point, don't veer. My guide was really insistent about this one. Don't veer don't veer so proverbs 18:2 tells us this a fool takes no pleasure in understanding we get that they're concerned only with the words of their own lips this is a fool obsessed with whatever comes out of their mouth as an 18 year old that was hitting wheaton i was obsessed with the words that were coming out of my mouth 
I like the idea of playing football in college. This college will take me. Hey, that's great. No idea the plans that God had for me at Wheaton. Don't veer. This idea of I look across the street and I see what my neighbors have. I want that. I'm willing to do all these foolish things that bring about brokenness in my, into my family, into my home. The, the thing that we misunderstand is that we're jumping on rocks all the time. We're veering off to the right. Every time we look at our table and the family around it, and we say, you know what? I really wish my family was next door. Or when our, our eyes dart to that person, even though we're happily married, we're happily married, living the American dream. We are constantly veering with our lives. I was at Wheaton because I was going to be a veterinarian. I was at Wheaton because I had plans for my life. Turns out, if you can't take a test, you're not really apt to go to vet school. That was pretty disappointing to me, too. And we veer so quickly. Solomon, this guy, wisest in all the lands. Many refer to him as the wisest man that has ever walked God's earth. And yet he dies with 700 wives. Figure that one out. We are constantly jumping onto rocks when we take our eyes off of what God is calling us to, where God has placed us. And so most of us, we might say, well, I've got this thing figured out. I'm at church. Duh. But the reality is it's worth hearing. Every time we look at something else and say, man, that'd be... I just want that. Every time I come home and I'm overwhelmed by my girls, I've taken my eyes off when I've said, golly, like, does this not get easier? We take our eyes off the opportunities we have before us. The opportunity to have an amazing experience if we would just run where God is calling. Hit that spot. Jump there. But instead, we start leaning over here. We start going this way. Why? Because we're more consumed by the words that come out of our mouth. That point sounds good. Sure. I think I'd like that. Sure. Instead of saying, God, what is it that you want? Where do you want to stretch me? Where do you want to grow me? So the approach matters. We can't veer. And kind of the last challenge I have for us is keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. 
This is for those of us in the room that say, you know what, I really like this idea. This experience, I'm up on top, it's 25 feet, this place is gorgeous. Who wouldn't want that experience? It says Jesus taught, I love the idea of building on this rock, but you know what? This sand, it's kind of easier to work in. And we're effectively telling God, I, I hear, I hear you, I hear you, but I don't like that spot. God, I know, I know I'm here, I know my family needs this income, but I really would rather be over there. We've said that this opportunity right here that God has placed us in, it, you know what, I, not that one. I'm good. I'm going to climb back down. And it's so easy for us to sit in these chairs to say, I'm showing up. To say, I've written my check. To say, I've opened the tab app. I've let them know I'm here. What more do they want? And the fact is that God wants your heart, not just for the approach, but for the follow-through. Even when it's hard. Even when it does mean that God may be calling you to something else, something bigger. Even when the home that's comfortable but God's opening the door down there. I got to tell you, I didn't see myself at the app or at the tab four months ago. I knew I liked the tab on paper. Interestingly enough, I was intrigued by this guy named Kit. There's a lot to be intrigued there. But something kept bringing me back to this conversation. I was at a church that I saw myself at for a long time. I liked the potential for my family. But yet I couldn't get away from this conversation that kept coming up. And I'll tell you, as a church, I blinked. Because there was a moment in that process where I told Kit and the leadership team here, no. I was running at the cliff. I liked the sounds of it, but I said, no. Because I said, you don't understand the circumstances. They don't fit right now. And that's where you may be at. I don't get how God is going to use this. You're telling me there's a good experience there, but I don't see it. Do not forsake wisdom. That was Solomon's encouragement in chapter 4 of Proverbs. Goes on to talk about this. Don't forsake her. She'll protect you. She'll guide you. Above all else, seek wisdom. Seek it. Pursue it. Run after it. Chase it. 
even when it doesn't make sense, the spot's here. Jump. You may be sitting here saying, you talk about cracked pots, mine's shattered. But here's the beautiful thing about this book. It's full of people like you and me who blinked as we were running. And the beautiful thing, like Solomon, like Jesus' disciples, like the people Jesus was teaching on that hillside, they had foolishness in their hearts. We won't do this perfectly. You may not even understand where to start. The secret? You just did. You said yes to someone that invited you. You clicked on a website by chance. You've started. God's beginning to put that cracked pot back together. Will it always have some marks? Absolutely. But that's the beauty of God. Is he's constantly taking our broken parts and saying, I've got that. We can work with that. Keep your eyes open. That encouragement is for us that sit here in the chairs that may have been calling this place home for a long time, that may have just called this place home just recently, that may not even know their home yet. Keep your eyes open. This is Jesus telling us that, listen, I need my followers to put up or shut up. Ooh, the new guy's not supposed to say that. That's the call of Jesus. To say, you don't get to wear all these hats. I need your yes or your no. And your yes can be as simple as, I'll come back next week. At least the coffee's good. What is it that you're going to say yes to? Don't blink. Don't blink. Last bit. This was the last thing the guy had told me. Whatever happens, as long as you don't go that way and join somebody else's raft and put a hole through it, and if you don't go that way, but if you keep your eyes open and run straight, You can jump, you can run off the edge, whatever it looks like. You can be the most uncoordinated person and fall off the edge. The beauty about this jump is it's worth it. It is worth the jump. Because whatever God is bringing your way, whatever God has brought you through, whatever life has crippled you with, has overwhelmed you with, maybe overjoyed you with, this jump will be worth it. This risk will be worth it. All the rest of this series are going to be about us tackling risky situations where it might mean unearthing something in our lives, where it means giving God control of that spot that we said never, ever, ever will anybody go there 
and the beauty of it. I got to hurry for just a little bit. Is that I had a guide sitting right here looking me square in the eyes of saying, I've done this before. I've taught other people just like you. I've used other broken people. I've seen people break themselves on this jump. But if you go there, it's worth the jump. We have the same encouragement, do we not, church? We serve a Savior that said it will be worth the jump. Not because you've earned it. Not because you have a great plan, but because I do. I just need you to jump. In church, that's our question. Your takeaway here is jump. Jump. That's not the decision that guy could make for me. That's not the thing where he could kind of roll me off the edge and just say, hey, kind of push me when you're ready. That'd be great. But that guide was insistent that this is going to be your experience. This is going to be your journey. And as you jump off that edge with eyes open, if you build that house on the rock, Jesus says, not only will this book guide you and lead you, but the Savior that this book is all about assures you of his presence through the Spirit. Hey, we know something about the Spirit, do we not, church? That we serve a faithful God. We serve a big God. And I'll tell you what, as I jumped off the edge and had no idea where I was about to land, it was one of the greatest, most exhilarating experiences I'd ever had at that point in my life. And Jesus uses the whole Sermon on the Mount to say, build this life for me. Fill your heart with these beliefs. And they'll dictate and they will, they will show you your path. But will you jump? That's your decision. Let's pray, church. God, you are good. You are good by bringing a farm boy into the city in a place that thoroughly made me uncomfortable. To show me what true relationships look like. To encourage me on this relationship with you. Having been a cracked and broken pot. And Lord, some of us sit here not knowing which way we're headed. And yet you've had a plan for each of us. Lord, I pray that whoever is sitting here having never said yes to coming back to coming to church, let alone coming back to a church. Lord, help them say yes to that. Help them to jump at that. For those of us that are headed, that we think we've got this thing figured out, Lord, keep our eyes open. Because it's when we don't expect it, when we have the plan laid out, that we become foolish and close our hearts by not saying, God, what? Lord, thank you for making the jump worth it. Thank you for making this pursuit of wisdom worth it. To guard our hearts, to direct our foot. One by one. As we journey after you. Together as a church. 
Because we are a broken people doing this thing together, just as you called us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.